the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. He's installing one of his sons as a priest who's not even of the priestly order. They're worshiping idols, saying it's the Lord, installing their own priest. Do you see how twisted all of this is? But that's what happens, you see, when everybody does what is right in their own eye. We're just going to worship God when we want to, how we want to, where we want to. We don't really care that we don't have a priest. We don't really care that we're mixing idolatry with sincere worship. It's all about how we want to do it in our own eyes. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. It's foolish to think you can drive a car and just make up your own rules. Pretty soon you'll find yourself in trouble with the law. Then if everyone made up their own rules, the roads would be a dangerous place. Well, this is exactly what was going on in Israel during the time of the Judges. Today, Pastor Gary shares that the main theme running throughout this book is that everyone was doing whatever was right in their own eyes. This brought about terrible consequences, and it turns out we're living in very similar days. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Doing What is Right in God's Eyes. Let's go to Judges chapter 21. We're going to take a quick look at one verse in Judges 21, and then we're going to actually backtrack But today we're going to bring the book of Judges to a close. And I wish that I could tell you that this book ends on this really positive, uplifting note, like closing out an Amish novel, (laughs) which I don't read, but my wife does. Unfortunately, that's not the way the book of Judges ends. It ends on a very tragic note. And the last verse of the entire book of Judges kind of summarizes the moral and spiritual condition of the day. So if you have your place there, read it. Look at it with me. Judges 21, verse 25. And it says this, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. That's the way the entire book of Judges ends. So it kind of communicates to us the spiritual and the moral condition of the day, that Israel had no king, and so everybody just did as he saw fit. Well, the closing chapters of the book of Judges are some of the most 
disgusting, really, and deplorable chapters in all of the Bible. And I don't say that as any kind of poor reflection on the Word of God or on God Himself. God has carefully chosen to preserve these stories in His Word. I say that rather because the people who are revealed here in these last few chapters are displaying some of the most base and vile of human behavior. And you're going to see it with me. And the reason why they are displaying such base and vile human behavior is because that's what happens when man tries to rule himself. That's what happens when man becomes his own standard for right and for wrong, when everybody does what is right in his own eyes. And so that verse that we just read at the beginning of our study in Judges 21-25 is also given to us in Judges 17, verse 6. So twice in the closing chapters of the book of Judges, we read the same verse, the same statement, that Israel had no king in those days, and so everyone did as he saw fit. And the more literal Hebrew translation is better preserved, I think in this case, in the King James Version. And the King James Version says this, that in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. Now please note with me, it does not say everyone did that which was wrong in his own eyes. That's another Bible study. But in actuality, what we see here is that these people were doing what they were doing, and they were doing it thinking that it was right. They were doing it thinking that it was right, which tells us that the people of Israel did not abandon the concept of right and wrong. This is very important to hear this. The people of Israel did not abandon the concept that there was right and wrong, but what they had done was they had rejected God's definition of what was right and wrong and replaced it with their own. That's what's happening here in the book of Judges. The people of Israel still had a concept about right and wrong, but they had rejected God's definition of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, and they had replaced it with their own definition. So that then what they were doing, they thought, was right because they saw it right in their own eyes. Now, in these closing chapters of the book of Judges, they were particularly thinking that what they were doing was right in their own eyes as it relates to two particular areas of life. And the first area we're going to look at quickly is the area of religion. I know that's a very broad word, means a lot of things to a lot of people, but basically by that I mean just their system of worship. What they had become were a people who decided that they were going to worship God when they wanted to worship Him, where they wanted to worship Him, and in what way they wanted to worship Him. They were going to worship God on their terms. They weren't taken their direction from God when it comes to their system of worship, to their religious system. They didn't have a sacred place. They didn't have a sacred practice. They didn't have even a sacred priest. The idea was that anybody can be a priest. 
any kind of worship counts, and you can do it anywhere. Anything goes. And so as it came to their structure of religion, it was very self-centered, very man-centered. They're going to do what they think is right in their own eyes. Now, to illustrate this, I'm going to ask you to go backwards a couple of chapters to chapter 17. And let me read a couple of verses from chapter 17 so you can just kind of see the way they were practicing their worship was a very convoluted system here. And it tells us in chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. It says, Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. And then his mother said, Well, the Lord bless you, my son. And when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol. And they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and some idols, and installed one of his sons as his priest. Then here we have verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. All right, so just to summarize what we read. In this first few verses of chapter 17, what we have here are three generations. We have a guy named Micah. We have a reference to his mother. And we have a reference to Micah's sons. So we have three generations here. And so just to kind of get, you know, a mental picture of what this probably looked like, you have mom perhaps in her 70s, you have Micah who's probably in 50-ish, and you have Micah with his sons who are old enough at least one to install as a priest, so he's got to be in his 20s. In these three generations, and the conversation goes like this, the chapter opens up with Micah going to his mom and saying, Mom, listen. Remember you had some money missing out of your purse one day? And when you realized money was missing, you said, I curse whoever took the money out of my purse. Well, I got to fess up. It, it was me. I, I, I stole money from your purse. I mean, I just wanted a new guitar. He says, I wanted to buy some stuff. From my, I ripped you off. I'm the one who stole from you. Here it is. Now, she says back to him, verse 2, the Lord bless you, my son. Now, first, ask yourself, what kind of a son would steal from his own mother? That's the first question. Second question is, what kind of a mother would say, well, the Lord bless you? The Lord bless you? She's obviously not a Jewish mom from Brooklyn. <laughs> if she were a Jewish mom from Brooklyn, she'd be kicking her son to Queens, okay? This mom here saying that? Well, the Lord bless you. Listen, how much money did he steal from her? Bible tells us 1,100 shekels. Let me translate that in today's standard. 1,100 shekels in today's standard would be about $9,000. He ripped mom off $9,000. It's not like he wanted some lunch money to cover a bean burrito, okay? He took $9,000 from his mom. She notices it's missing. She curses whoever took it. He fesses up because he doesn't want the curse. He says, here, I'm going to give you your money back. She says, well, the Lord bless you. And then the next thing out of her mouth, verse 3, 
I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you? Yeah, that's exactly what mom says here. She says, okay, listen, thanks for giving me the money back. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to consecrate it to God. I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord as holy, and then I'm going to give it back to you, son, and I want you to make for me a carved image, a cast idol. Could you do that? They employ a silversmith. In verse 4, he makes the image and the idol. And then it tells us that Micah has a shrine at his house. He has like his own little holy hut. And he takes the image, and he takes the cast idol, and he has an ephod, also the Bible says, which is like a vestment that the priest would normally wear. Don't know why he's got one, but notice what's happening here is they're just resorting to their own system of worship. They're just going to do it their own way. Sets it up in his little shrine, and then he realizes, don't have a priest. We're not even of the priestly class. But I've got a few sons. So here, son number one, you're going to be the priest for our family and recognize here what's happening you have mom who's dedicating the money unto the lord it's the capital letters l-o-r-d so it's the proper name of god she's consecrating the silver to god and yet she's using consecrated money not to be a part of worshiping god but to make idols so that she can worship them gives them to her son he's got his own little shrine this isn't the tabernacle of the lord which is at shiloh at the time he's installing one of his sons as a priest who's not even of the priestly order they're worshiping idols saying it's the lord installing their own priest do you see how twisted all of this is but that's what happens you see when everybody does what is right in their own eyes we're just going to worship god when we want to how we want to where we want to we don't really care that we don't have a priest. We don't really care that we're mixing idolatry with sincere worship. It's all about how we want to do it in our own eyes. So their system of worship, religion, was one thing that we clearly see in the closing chapters that they were doing in their own way, in their own eyes. And then the second issue that we see here is the issue of morality. Morality. They basically, we'll see here in the closing chapters, decided that we're going to define what's right and wrong. We're going to define what's good and bad. We're going to define what is just and unjust, not God. We don't need God to tell us what to do or not to do. We don't need God to define for us what is right and what is wrong. We're in charge, and we're going to decide what is right and what is wrong. Now, in chapter 19, if you go to chapter 19 with me, Here's where it gets gruesome. This is a hard story to read. It's, you know, one of the things that happens where, you know, here at Cornerstone, we go straight through the Bible from cover to cover. And so even some of the difficult, gruesome parts we're going to read, but there's a reason why this is included in Scripture here. So note with me, in chapter 19, it's going to speak of the moral depravity that has taken hold of a country that has rejected God's definition of right and wrong and adopted their own. This is what happened. This is the kind of thing that happens here. So in chapter 19, look at verse 1, down through verse 4. It says this, In those days Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. 
He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her father's house, and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, prevailed upon him to stay. So he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. All right, now your attention here for a moment. So here this whole story begins by saying, once again, Israel had no king. So the idea is they're throwing off moral restraint. They don't want to be under anybody's authority, and particularly God's. They're going to define what is right and wrong. Their whole system of morality is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And the first thing that we come to here is a Levite who is part of the priestly order, and he has a concubine. A Levite with a concubine. What is a Levite doing with a concubine? What is anybody doing with a concubine? Okay, That was never God's intention, never God's will. And sometimes when you read through the Old Testament and you see how men had several wives and a few concubines, don't ever get confused as to whether or not God accepted that. He never accepted it. Because he made clear his definition in Genesis 2.24, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God's original definition and design of marriage is one man, one woman for one lifetime. And that has never changed. So just because we look at some sorry soul in the Bible who thinks he can handle more than one woman. <laughs> and I don't say that just for the guys. All the ladies can say amen to that too. He can't take care of me. What does he think? I know. It's true. God designed one man, one woman, not multiple. What is this guy thinking? And who is a concubine? Tell you what concubine is. Concubine in this ancient culture was considered... A legal wife, but she was considered a second-class wife. A second-class wife. And you, as a husband, would provide your concubine with food and shelter and clothing, and she would provide you with, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you had children by her, if your wife was barren and couldn't have children, then your concubine's children would be your rightful heirs. But if your wife had children, your concubine's children would not get any of your inheritance. You're just a messed up, twisted sense of relationships and stuff. But anyhow here, it says in verse 2 that she was unfaithful to him, to her husband, and she left him. And she went back to her dad's house. Goes back to daddy's house... And it says that after four months that he began to miss his concubine. After four months, the guy said, you know what? I kind of missed the gal around the house. I'm going to go after her. I don't know why it took him four months, okay? Some guys are a little thicker than others. Takes him four months, and he tracks her down at dad's house. Father-in-law welcomes him. Good to see you, son-in-law. Why don't you come in? He says, well, I'm just here to pick up my concubine and go back home. I want to try to mend things. I, I want her to come back to me. And the father-in-law says, well, listen, why don't you just stay here? We'll just have some pizza. We'll drink a little bit and just enjoy yourself. Take a load off your feet. You've traveled a long way. The guy says, all right, sounds good. So for three days, Bible says, they eat and drink. That's all they do. Fourth day. The man, the husband, gets up and says, you know what? we got to start on our way because we got a long journey. It's going to take us a whole day to get back home. I want to get home before nightfall. Father-in-law says, what's your hurry? Come on. I'll throw some brats on the grill. Why don't you just stick around a little bit longer? We'll drink. We'll eat. It'll all be good. And then you can be on your way. He says, okay, fine. They eat. They drink. And then the guy says, I need to be going, really. 
father-in-law says, it's kind of late in the day, don't you think? And by now, you won't get home before it's nightfall. Stay another night. The guy stays another night. The Bible says later on in the story, on the fifth day, he gets up. Husband gets up and goes, we really have to be on our way. Father-in-law says, what's the rush? Stay and eat and drink and be merry. Let's have a good time. Smoke the hookah pipe, the whole thing. Okay, that part he doesn't say. The guy says, well, all right, I'll stay a little bit longer. It gets later in the day. Father-in-law says, well, now it's so late in the day, you might as well stay. And the man says, no, honestly, we got to go. But because they get a late start, nightfall does come upon them in their journey back home. And so they have to stop at a city along the way. And the city is called Gibeah. Now, what is typical in the day, obviously, don't have holiday inns, don't have Marriott's. So you get to a city you're traveling to, and if you need lodging, you just kind of sit down in the city square. And people who come along, they see you sitting down in the city square, and they were probably much more hospitable than we tend to be today. And so you would see somebody or a family just kind of sitting there, and you'd say, hey, obviously you look like you're a traveler, you're from a distant place, come and stay at my house, I'll give you food, I'll give you lodging. Well, nobody does that for this family until late at night. Bible says here in chapter 19 that an old man comes along. And if you'll start reading with me in verse 20, here's where the story kind of goes downhill from here. Verse 20, he says, you are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need, only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Now, does this story sound a little familiar? It should, because it reminds us very similarly of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. When you have some men who actually are angels, but they're in human form, and they are given lodging in Sodom, and the town men, young and old, the Bible says, surround the house, pound on the door, bring the men out, we want to have sex with them. Now, the difference between Sodom and Gomorrah and this story is that Sodom and Gomorrah was a pagan place. Gibeah, where this story is taking place here in Judges chapter 19, Gibeah was the place occupied by the Israelites. The Benjamites, the tribe of Benjamin, lived in Gibeah. These were Jews. These weren't pagan people. These were Jews of the tribe of Benjamin who were saying these things. Now read on verse 23. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this disgraceful thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But to this man, don't do such a disgraceful thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night, and at dawn they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daylight. 
When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine fallen in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. See, she had died. Throughout the book of Judges, God was with the nation of Israel. When they were following him, God's blessing flowed and filled their land. When they turned away from him, he didn't abandon them, but instead brought forth judges to help them see the error of their ways and how life with him was so much better. This cycle of living that the Israelites fell into is what we've been studying with Pastor Gary Hamrick. And we're so glad you joined us again today. Here at Cornerstone Connection, we love being able to share God's Word with you and learning with you what God has to teach us. If you'd like to hear more from the book of Judges or the number of other Bible books Pastor Gary has taught through, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have companion resources that offer an even deeper look into these studies, which you can use to enhance your own time with God in His Word. Cornerstone Connection comes to you as a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, and we'd love to meet you in person. Come see us Sundays at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our time of worship and Bible study. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today, but join us again for another step into the lives of the Israelites right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen Truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.